I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is your weekly briefing for the week ending April 30th. This week, we'll be talking with Silicon Labs CEO Tyson Tuttle. Silicon Labs just announced it will be selling off its entire automotive business, which represents roughly 40% of the company's revenue. We put the question to Tuttle, what would possess a company to divest that big of a chunk of itself? Also this week, we're once again exploring how art and engineering complement each other. We'll meet Jim Heckroth, an application engineer and a singer-songwriter. This is his music you're listening to. We'll get to our features in a moment. First, here's a quick rundown of some of the top articles we have in EE Times this week. Almost any engineer who has ever worked with RF signals will tell you that when you have multiple radars, the signals will interfere with each other. And yet, automakers have been producing more cars that increasingly rely on radar without taking interference into account at all. How can that be? Well, Read our article called, Don't Cross the Beams, and we'll tell you. The range and diversity of modern electronic systems that depend on GPS is astounding. Sadly, the people who built the GPS system never anticipated that there would be hackers who would want to deliberately cause damage by interfering with GPS signals, nor that there would be just a bunch of bored idiots who would mess with the signals just because they've got nothing better to do. Read our series of articles on the rickety GPS system, what its vulnerabilities are, and what's being done to shore it up. Foxconn got huge by making iPhones for Apple. Now it is preparing to make electric vehicles for... somebody. Nobody's saying who, but odds are it's a company whose name rhymes with Snapple. We've also got articles on a new generation of offshore wind turbines, the important debate on privacy that Apple and Facebook are having, a whiz-bang new etcher from LAM Research, the use of silicon carbide chips in Formula E race cars, and more. You can find these and other stories when you visit our website at eetimes.com. If you reached this episode through our podcast webpage, there are links to all of these stories on your left. Silicon Labs is a mid-sized semiconductor design house founded in 1996. Over the years, it has established a reputation for tightly focused innovation in its chosen market segments. Silicon Labs hired Tyson Tuttle as CEO in 2012. He immediately focused the company on the Internet of Things market, leveraging the company's expertise in the wireless technologies that are critical for IoT connectivity. The company's other major division covers automotive and infrastructure. Now, back in 2014, Silicon Labs' IoT operations brought in a little over 15%. That's 1-5, of revenue. Silicon Labs just reported its first quarter earnings earlier this week. IoT now represents 62% of the company's total first quarter revenue of $255 million. The company's IoT operation and its automotive and infrastructure operation both grew, but the IoT group has simply been growing faster. Still, the automotive business is thriving and it's heading toward becoming a 400 million annual business. Nothing to sneeze at. 
And yet, Silicon Labs just announced it sold the operation for $2.75 billion to Skyworks. Right after the sale was announced, global editor Junko Yoshida got Tuttle on a video call. It was late in the day for both of them, and while the two were talking, the lights at Silicon Labs headquarters were turned off for the night. Tuttle bravely soldiered on, lit only by his laptop screen. So if the audio quality is a little off, that's why. A quick note on part of the conversation coming up. Junko interviewed Tuttle in 2014, a couple years after he was hired at Silicon Labs. At the time, the IoT market was still very poorly defined, and it wasn't clear what semiconductor products would be useful or necessary. Well, it wasn't clear to most people. It was crystal clear to Tuttle. During that conversation, Tuttle took out a pen and diagrammed what an IoT processor should look like. Cliché of clichés, he did his sketch literally on the back of a napkin. He immediately began showing that diagram around, and it really did help guide how the IoT market developed. Okay, back to the present and their interview this week. Junko asked Tuttle what motivated the sale of the company's automotive operations. Here's Tuttle's reply. Usually you hear about companies getting acquired, and here we are, you know, investing to win in a new exciting opportunity and, and swinging for the fences. So it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, we've talked to, I mean, I think you were one of the first editors that I talked to about our, you know, our IOT vision. Yep. Yep. And now that's, you know, over 60% of our business. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's time, you know, we had a very high quality infrastructure and automotive business, but it was very different from IOT. You know, they yeah. were more components and targeting different customers and markets and different technologies and, yeah. and all of that stuff. And, um, you know, being able to put that into a good home, Skyworks is a great company. And yep. I think those, that team and those products are in good hands. We got a good valuation for it. Yep. Now that gives us the focus and clarity to go after this IoT thing as our number one job. And, uh, you know, that's great for the company's culture, you know, for the, the customers, the brand, the mission. You know, I, I mean, even with suppliers, we're not losing scale. We'll be back to the same size that we were last year in a couple of years. Really? Is, is, I mean, see, that was the thing that I, I, I wanted to ask you because usually I don't hear companies willing to shed i think it's a, as i think it's like a 42 percent of the business the revenue right i mean it's uh the i and the in infrastructure automotive yeah, business of the 2020 20. business but then you, you have to remember that the infrastructure and automotive business is more modest growth and more profitable right you know okay. so those would be more value investors investing in that and then yeah. our iot business yeah. is really you know, on hyper growth, you know, we're talking, you know, our model is 20% growth, but this year we're going to grow 25 to 30%. Wow. Over last okay. year. So you've got this very high growth business, then that's more value, more, more growth investor. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And, and so these, you know, these two businesses looked very different under the same umbrella. The way to think about it is if we were a pure play IOT company, would, would we acquire our infrastructure and automotive business? And the answer right. is no, you know, they, I mean, it, it grew up under the same umbrella and had a lot of the same sort of common culture and technology, Right. But they were targeting very, very different applications and customers. And right. so, uh, you know, in some ways scale matters, but it, it only matters if you're doing more of the same thing. 
Right. Not if you're doing, you know, a whole different set of things. So it was really two different companies under one umbrella. I, I just want to point out to you, and you probably can write this down, mm-hmm. is that, you know, two other companies have really done similar things. And, really? uh, you know, you look at Cree. So yeah. Cree is selling their LED business and their lighting business and focusing on silicon carbide for electric vehicles. Ah. And going after a pure play. And those guys are highly valued and it's a big high growth market and they've got, you know, great differentiation in technology. And so this is similar to that. And then you also think about what Matt Murphy has done over at, uh, at Marvell, right. Ah. Uh, you know, he, he sold his Wi-Fi business and the media business and, you know, several other things. Right. And when he took over at Marvell, he said, Hey, we need focus. We need to go after the data center and, you know, computing and 5g and, and all of these things with a common platform. Yeah. And um, and then, you know, now they're pulling in Infi and, you know, he's been doing a great job and creating a lot of value over there. So we, we viewed this as a value creation for our shareholders. Gotcha. And also achieving that focus delivers huge benefits in terms of our ability to accelerate our growth mm-hmm. in the IoT mm-hmm. markets. Right. So, well, six years ago, when I um, when I covered that famous back of the napkin IoT SOC story, um, I thought that actually you are nuts. Okay, and then it's like, that 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 wasn't. Well, it may that still was, be nuts, you know. It's, yeah. uh, you know some things never it's, change. No, it's it's not knock on you, but I thought that that, that was just still IoT was so undefined. And yeah. everybody wanted to call his or her business IoT related. And but you are the first executive actually came out saying that this is the concept, but this is how I define IoT in my business, right? right. You had the clear message with that. Well, that and that's conceptual. been consistent all the way along. You know, we've expanded yeah. in, into some additional wireless standards and we're now building our third generation silicon platform. So, you know, that drawing that I gave you is still essentially the same sort of chips that we're building today. We've added security and we're adding artificial intelligence. Right. We're moving to smaller process geometries. Yeah. And then applying that broadly to you know thousands of applications and tens of thousands of customers. Right. But we've now seen those IoT markets really start taking off. When I started talking about IoT, people didn't really even know what it meant. Right. And oh, um, you know, and, and and from my perspective, it was like you know you have your mobile phones and you have your PCs, and those are connected to the internet. But all this other stuff is going to get connected to the internet. And you yeah. you look when you connect something, you create inherent value. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, whether that value is in convenience or in, uh, you know, economic value or saving money yeah. or saving energy, um, yeah. making devices more intelligent by connecting them to the Internet and connecting them to each other and connecting them to applications and people right. um, creates whole new business models and whole new use cases for devices. And in, in fact, in some ways, any sort of device today that you do not connect is kind of a race to the bottom, right? Because the, you know, it, it, you think of all the products we have, if it's not connected, it's just static. Whereas when it gets connected, it becomes more intelligent. It evolves right. in the future. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's new functionality that can be embedded into that and device and that's, that's creating value. And that's what we're providing the platform for. Right. You know, I think one of the other things is, you know, like the, the business we sold were components that go into other people's systems, uh-huh. you know, whether it's an isolator going into an electric vehicle or a timing right. chip going into a communication system. Right. In IoT, we are doing 
all the silicon. We are the ones that are integrating the processing and the memory and the, you know, the energy battery management, the sensor interfaces, the, you know, all of the, all of the, the entire system, both at the hardware and the SOC level, but also at the software levels, uh-huh, all uh-huh. the way from the, you know, the transistor and the silicon all the way up to the cloud. Right. And um, so, you know, this has really transformed the company from being just a, you know, a pure silicon component provider to be a uh, silicon software and solution provider where, where we can really control the integration path. Yep. And, you know, the fact that we're not, we don't sell this into PCs or handsets, we sell it very broadly into all these different applications that creates, it's a very resilient business uh, because, you know, there, there's not, we're not just dependent on one customer or one application right. and we're sharing once, once we achieve scale in that business, as we scale this up, you know, to the point where it's hitting the profitability targets and all that, that we're, yeah. we're putting out there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very, uh, there's a high degree of differentiation, a high degree of defensibility mm-hmm. and a very high quality, you know, in other words, it's just, it's like a snowball going downhill, right? You're just mm. building momentum and, yeah. um, you know, and, and there's kind of equivalence of this on the software side. So if you think about enterprise software, like, you know, Salesforce creates a platform for CRM across industries. We're right. creating a silicon and software platform that goes across industries that mm. you can't afford, you know, either these companies can't afford to do it themselves, or if you just do one part, you never achieve the scale to be able to reach this escape velocity that we believe that we finally achieved, which is kind of, you know, related to the timing of when we're doing this, you know, the, we've now reached this critical mass, this escape. So let me ask you this. You said that the basic uh, building blocks that you conceptualized in that IoT SOC, uh, that, that hasn't really changed. So in order to have this snowball effect that you're, you're gunning for with the IoT, booming IoT business, where do you need to actually invest more? I mean, there, there must be the good reason that wanted to, you wanted to focus on IoT and I'm just assuming there's parts of IoT business that really you know, the, the, you, you need to not just focus, but you need to invest. What are they? Yeah. So, I mean, certainly we need to um, increase our investments in Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, which are two of the key wireless standards for IoT. And, um, you know, we've got a great position in both of those, but there's additional investments in silicon platforms and software and support that need to happen, you know, as we do our third, you know, and really in, into our third generation silicon platform. So there's a lot of software to do, there's additional silicon to do, and there's additional standards to get critical mass around. And the focus that we're going to be able to achieve by doing this, uh, and we will be freeing up some additional dollars to be able to invest in R&D, um, you know, to to accelerate those, those developments internally. We're able to reset our financial model and then grow from there. Uh, and have this ramp in profitability over time as we scale. So we, it, it allows us to kind of front end load some of those investments that were hard to make, actually, even though the company was more profitable before, um, we were really valued more on the earnings. And now we're going to really be valued more on the growth. Right. And, I uh, see. Okay. And we're at this point where the pandemic has accelerated the demand for our products and accelerated the adoption of IoT technology. And so that's... Wow. That's a really important thing to to think is like, why now? You know, it's yeah, not only has the, has the IoT business reached this kind of critical mass, the markets are really taking off. And, wow. and so 
to really capitalize on that and to be able to achieve leadership requires focus and purity in terms of, of what we're doing. And we believe that we can run faster um, as a pure play company in this can I, can I can I ask you something I'm, 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 I'm sorry that I'm, I'm I don't think I'm, I'm quite comprehending when you said that the, you need to invest more on things like Wi-Fi and Bluetooth I thought those are you know standardized products uh, why do you need to invest more what's what's going on there well you know to, to be able to address thousands of applications and uh, tens of thousands of customers you have to you know build out a portfolio of products I so see. it's a, it's a platform okay and you know while today you know we we've got you know you have to if you're going to achieve, achieve leadership right you have to you have to run faster right? right you have to move into the next process nodes and you've got to get into the next version of the standard and you've got to have all the variations of those technologies and all the various permutations right. to be able to address more and more of that market right. and uh and so the you know we've got a, a we've got a great um position in the market in a lot of areas I but see. you know you've got to be able to make those investments and run yep. faster to be able to you know to to gain gain the market share as the markets are growing, these the, the IoT markets are growing about fifteen percent per year, and so with our twenty percent per year model that we're we're putting out, that means that we're going to be gaining market share over time. Wow! And and you know we see evidence of this. You know we see companies like TI kind of not really keeping up, and uh, you know other companies you know might do a chip for lighting or try to go after one market right. or other, but. If you don't have the you know the critical mass of being able to have you know revenue from all of these markets, it doesn't work. And so, um, I see. You know, in other words, uh, you know, the leader in a market is always the one that achieves the best um, return on their investment. And so, it's our view that focusing and accelerating our path to that market leadership. You know, while today we have a market leadership, but the market is going to be much, much, much bigger in the future. Right. Right. And so that requires even greater momentum. That was Silicon Labs CEO Tyson Tuttle with EE Times Global Editor Junko Yoshida. We've got a link to Junko's story on the podcast episode webpage. I and other editors here at EE Times, among us have interviewed thousands of engineers over the years, and it recently struck us. An inordinate number of engineers are also musicians, more so than with the businessmen that we meet, or other journalists, or any other profession for that matter, or so it seems to us. It led us to wonder, is there something common to the two endeavors, art and engineering? We talked to some of our engineering friends, and some of them seem to think there is. Last month, we did our first episode of a new feature we're calling the Artful Engineer. It was with Jack Wiest, an engineer with Intel. Our latest episode is now available. In it, we talk with Jim Heckroth, an applications engineer with, it just so happens, Silicon Labs. So that's two interviews today with someone from Silicon Labs. Now, had Tyson Tuttle let us know he was going to sell off nearly half his company, we might have asked him to hold off on the announcement for a couple of weeks. But for whatever reason, he didn't consult with us on that, and now here we are. Junko Yoshida conducted this interview. Here's Jim Heckroth. 
And, you know, I, I was a, a musician before I was an engineer because I started playing at a, at a young age. And uh, But, you know, most of my days are spent doing engineering work and uh, mus- music is more of the hobby. So it's a serious hobby for me, but... Uh, but my profession is engineering and uh, and music is uh, is my you know my second love i guess <laughs> is there any um linkage or some kind of semblance when you do engineering you know i uh, i enjoy technical writing a- as well and I, and i do quite a bit of it you know application notes and and white papers and training materials and uh there's some similarities, you know, uh, you know, defining the structure and, and, and making a story that makes sense. There's some differences, though, too, you know, in the, in the engineering writing, I generally start out with an idea of what it is that I that I need to say, what I want to accomplish. Right. And uh, another difference is that, uh, you know, in my technical writing, I really search out and eliminate ambiguity. You know, things have to be clear. Uh, and right. a, po- a point that you make has to be has to have a foundation that you've already stated, like like a mathematical proof, you know, and uh, and there's no amb- you should eliminate ambiguity. I, I think at least I, I try to. And uh, in in songwriting, that's that's not always the case. You know, sometimes uh, being able to interpret a line two different ways is uh, advantageous, and 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 you want to do that sometimes so that it can maybe appeal to a wider variety of people because they they hear uh, part of their own story in in, in it. Uh, so those are a couple yeah. differences, but but there's some similarities, too. And I, and I, uh, mm-hmm. I, I do enjoy technical writing as well. So when you're finishing up school, um, you know, getting the degree in AE, what was your expectation? What, you know, kind of engineer were you thinking about, you know, you're envisioning to become? I, I thought it was quite funny that when you said that uh, you thought that, oh, I might be able to get a job at the... Fender or someplace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was my hope. You know, I thought, uh, see, if I'm not studying music, I'll 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 do the engineering side of music. You know, and uh, and you know, I did interview with uh, with some musical instrument companies and some companies that were making professional audio equipment, and I and I had some offers in that area, but I I ended up taking a, my first job in Dallas with a with a contractor uh, company that was doing uh, narrowband speech processing, and and uh, I thought that's uh, that's audio related in a way, uh, and I didn't know much about DSP, so I, I started on my master's degree part time while I, uh, when I started that first job, and, and uh, focused on digital signal processing and got my MSWE uh, within a couple of years there of starting, and and it was uh, you know it was sort of audio related stuff, and and I learned about a lot about digital signal processing, and that, that proved useful for me later on. Okay, so now I'm trying to connect the dots between music and engineering. In your career as a Mr. Engineer, you know, as an engineer, do you think that any of your music acumen helped your engineering job at all? Yeah, in in some ways, you know, um, it's interesting. I've I've heard that uh, that music performance is good for your brain because it exercises your brain in some way. I don't know how true this is, but uh, that you have to think in the present time and also in the future. So you're t- uh, thinking in two time dimensions at the same time, you know, and that's certainly true. I mean, you're you're playing. I might be singing and playing, and I'm also thinking about what chord comes next or what's the same. So I'm 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 here in the present. I have to focus on that, but I'm also thinking uh, 
in advance about what's coming next. And, you know, that's that's a skill that applies, you know, if you're given a technical presentation or even speaking in a meeting. And uh, and uh, so so the same kind of thing is true. So I think my performance background certainly helps me when I'm giving a presentation, you know, with uh, with my self-confidence and also with this just being able to think on my feet like that. Um, you know, there's also a, a collaboration uh, aspect to playing in a band where, you know, the, the really good players, when they're playing, they're not really listening to themselves as much as they are listening to the to the whole sound. And, and they're not thinking, you know, what's the what's the coolest, most impressive thing I could play right now? They're thinking, what's the best thing I could add, you know, to the whole sound? And sometimes that means stepping up front uh, and sometimes it means laying back and adding some little bitty part because that's what the song needs. And, you know, in in, uh, in technical meetings or a collaborative engineering environment, it's kind of the same thing. You know, you, you're you better off listening really carefully to everybody else and then figuring out what it is that you can contribute. Your hand reaching out for mine These memories in my heart Are unaware of time Nothing escapes change There's no holding on And I don't know how to stop thinking about you I don't know how to leave without you I don't know who I'm supposed to be When I'm not part of you and me And I've never known a love so strong I don't know where the time has gone All I know is I ache just ache with missing you All I know Is I ache with missing you That was Jim Heckroth, a singer-songwriter based in Austin, Texas, and an applications engineer with Silicon Labs. By the way, Jim is associated with the automotive and infrastructure business at Silicon Labs, So if there's anyone from Skyworks listening, Jim should be available soon to perform at company events. Links to the Artful Engineer are on this episode webpage, and that includes both the one with Jim and also the first installment of the Artful Engineer with Intel's Jack Wiest. And that is it for the weekly briefing for the week ending April 30th. Thank you for listening. The weekly briefing is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher, but if you get to us via our website at eetimes.com slash podcasts, you'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we mentioned. This podcast is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McRae at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week. <laughs>